Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video number 66 and audio season three, episode 30 of Music is Not a Genre. Each week, I find any excuse to talk about music. And of course, as you know, in this version, I take some releases from my collection and I discuss them. I give you my take on them. I throw in some facts not everything, but enough, some other interesting tidbits, some opinions, and I connect them to my music, my band Rex Music. As you see, those of you watching here, I have my Rex shirt on, and you'll see why in a second, uh, to other music in the world and to other things in the world not related to music at all. Uh, thank you, as always, for your support, If you're whether you're listening or watching. If you are a Patreon patron, thank you very much, and if you're not, please consider that uh, everything I do here it takes a lot of work, and I appreciate the support in, in any way. Please share this video or this audio with someone you know who's interested in music, who's obsessed with music, and who's especially interested in this week's topic, which we'll get to right now. And the title here is The White Stripes Three-Tone Rock. Three-Tone Rock. So this week's topic is really about cycles, and I've talked about this before in various ways, but I think that th I'm going to get more specific this week in the sense that um, I'm going to speak strictly about rock music, and I'm not specifying any any other sub-genre of rock, just rock music on the whole. Just like everything, uh, music and everything in the world, uh, economics, you just really, you name it. Everything goes in cycles, ebbs and flows. Um, let's not get too philosophical about that, but it's true. And in this case, the cycle I'm talking about is the expansion and contraction of rock music or the type of rock music that's out there, rock music's popularity, pretty much any anything that has to do with it. Simple to complex. Uh, I, I wrote here in the text, if you, if you uh, please read the text, it's not what I'm saying. So you get a little bit of a different take on here. And I may throw in some information that I won't say, uh, you know, speak out loud or, or vice versa. And what I said here is that rock is like a slab of sidewalk. Uh, and if you grew up anywhere near sidewalks, you know that they're cut into, you know, slabs, generally squares or rectangles. And you were told, why do they crack? Why do they break apart? And you were told that it has to do with temperature. That other than stress fractures and things like that, when uh, it's hot out, concrete expands like other things. 
when it's cold out, it contracts. So that expansion and contraction eventually causes, uh, you know, stress fractures. And that's what I'm, uh, you know, comparing rock music to. So when rock music is hot, when it's popular, when a lot of things are going on in the rock world, it expands. It goes all over so many different places in the macro micro sense when it is not hot it contracts it gets it gets more specific it 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 gets kind of scaled down and let me give you some examples so in the 1960s as rock was developing it was extremely popular so it was expanding into things like chamber pop like um you know the beatles uh revolver rubber soul uh, and expanding into concept albums like, again, The Beatles, uh, Sgt. Pepper's, or, um, you know, Moody Blues, orchestral rock, things like that. And it was expanding, expanding uh, until, you know, the late 60s, and hear me out here, when certain bands came along to become an antidote to that overblown expansion. And let me just say right out, and I said it later in the text, but I'll say it right out now. I like all of it. I'm not saying, when I say overblown, I'm not saying that to denigrate it. I'm just kind of illustrating. I like expansive rock. I like minimalist rock. And let let me just put that out there. So in the 60s, you then had, uh, you know, late 60s blues-oriented bands trying to get back to the simplicity of rock, um, whether it was Cream or, you know, Led Zeppelin, uh, even even Black Sabbath to an extent, even you know, and even Jethro Tull, even Fleetwood Mac, they started out as a blues band, and they were very simple in some ways. Then, or Stones uh, shifted back to their simpler sound on Let It Bleed, and the you know overall, you had this movement in rock of simplicity. Velvet Underground is another great example of simplicity in its own way. I'm not saying it's simple like you know dumbed down. It's it's simple in concept, and then the 1970s comes and rock surges in popularity again and you have things like progressive rock or power pop, uh, the pop-oriented uh, rock music. And progressive rock, of course, is when it got, you know, rock got as blown up as it probably ever would get, except for certain later metal genres, which really became also quite progressive, like Tool and, and, and bands like that, uh, even Mastodon. Uh, and so what happened in the late seventies, you know, mid to late seventies, uh, punk said, you know, punk and post-punk and all that new wave said, we have to just scale this down. It's getting, you know, way overblown and n- people aren't listening the way they should be listening anymore. It's album rock. Uh, the airwaves are being taken over by disco, which again, I love, and I don't want to get into that dispute ever in my life. And so you had that, that punk, uh, you know, the clash and the sex pistols and all of that, uh, buzzcocks and, and et cetera, et cetera. And then it happened again, late eighties, uh, or into the early nineties, the late eighties, you had, um, overblown in the sense, I think more of style and, 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 um, you know, image than anything else. You had all the hair metal and the glam metal. And we kind of talked a little bit about that last time, uh, when we were talking about Alice in Chains where they were a perfect illustration of what happened to rock after that. And it went back to kind of a simpler, in some ways, uh, style in terms of sound, in terms of image, certainly simpler when it morphed into grunge. 
uh, starting with Green River, who no one knows, and then moving on to the more popular grunge bands. And uh, that took over and helped it to surge in popularity again uh, through the 90s. And what happened? It got overblown again, but this time more in the sense of, I think, concept. Uh, you had the kind of um, overblown, uh, you know, new metal uh, was a little too... Um, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but you had emo as well, which started out with good intentions and really continued to keep that as far as true emo, but pop emo became a parody of itself. Uh, new metal became a parody of itself. Grunge became a parody of itself, was warmed over grunge by the late 90s, you know. And so bands came along in the early 2000s to simplify the sound of rock again. And that's where we get to our subject for the week, the White Stripes. It was considered a garage rock or post-punk revival. You had bands like the White Stripes. You had the Strokes. You had the Hives. You had the Vines. I would even put Block Party in that group, uh, although a little later, not much later. Uh, you had uh, Hot Hot Heat and, and bands like that who really stripped down the sound of rock in the way the Strokes did. And the White Stripes, I think, is, again, here we go, a perfect example of what happens when this cycle revolves back to simplicity. So if you know anything about the White Stripes, you know that they were Jack White and Meg White, uh, a couple in 97 who were married. Detroit, home of a lot of stripped-down rock like the Stooges, the MC5, Susie Quattro, and many more. And John Gillis, Jack Gillis, took on his wife's last name, Meg White, and they became Jack White and Meg White, uh, don't ask me if it was legally or not, if it was just professionally. I honestly did not look that up. Please look it up. That's not really what I'm going for here. Uh, but I would love to know. And uh, released uh, six albums starting in 1999 with their eponymous album. And this is what happened. Now, I'm going to say this. It's very uh, appropriate that their second album is titled De Stil. And you know, the one thing you know about Jack White, if you know anything, he's very calculated, you know. He makes deliberate decisions when he does something, whether it's the kind of music he's doing and uh, forming another band, uh, starting a record company, and the, you know, and all of that. In, in a similar way to how Lenny Kravitz often went through this kind of analog period, uh, minimalist, uh, you know, uh, going back to the 70s, 1970s sound or even before, I think Jack White took it to the nth degree and uh, stripped it down to its barest essence. So De Stiel, if you know anything about that, is was a Dutch art movement that prized simple geometry and primary colors like uh, Piet Mondrian. Uh, Mondrian, people, geez, wore his patterns uh, on clothing and had his patterns, you know, and paintings or posters on their walls, especially in the 80s and 90s, hugely popular. So it was only a matter of time 
visual art often precedes uh, audio art in my mind, and I think that's what happens here. So that surge in popularity and, and people like Mondrian, uh, you know, crossed over into music, and you had that garage rock revival. And so what what Jack White did and Meg White is they formed a band around what well, like I what I say three tone rock, and there are three tones visually speaking, red, white, and black, which is why I'm wearing this shirt. Just coincidentally, wreck. This wreck incarnation is red, white, and black. Every every release cycle, I change the logo and change the colors, but it just happens to be that right now, before the next album that I'm uh, in pre-production for, uh, it's going to stay this way for at least this year, I would think. And that that visual representation was a perfect representation of their music, which was also three tones, drums, guitar, and vocals. And that's it. No bass. You know, things were added later on in later uh, albums, but not much. Very simple, very stripped down. It was, a, it was this deliberate restriction. Restrict your choices so, so that you have to dig deep and find the creativity within those strict choices. It's something I actually discussed with my uh, most recent uh, interview guest, Shock, Shock uh, Zeitmal, who uh, meant, made this mention. He's somebody who likes layers, et cetera, et cetera, but he talked about how restricting yourself to certain sounds or instruments is a way to force creativity out of you, to kind of squeeze it out of you. And, and I think really that's what the White Stripes did. Um, I'll be honest, I was slow to adopt this. You know, so if you are looking, and those of you who can't see, I will describe, I have the, the last four White Stripe albums up here on my Victrola, which were White Blood Cells, Elephant, Get Behind Me, Satan, and Icky Thump, in order here, point, 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 left to right, and, uh, or no, is it right to left? I don't know. I, I, it's, all tw it's all twisted around. But um, the point being, I didn't get their first two albums. You know, and I had heard about them, but I my first response was that it was reductive in a very artsy way. It was almost pretentious in the way that it was being done. It was, let's see if we can get away with this simplicity uh, as kind of a finger in the face of all the rock bands that have, you know, multi-layered guitars and multi-layered vocals and all of that stuff. And again... I'm not judging either style, but at the time, I guess I kind of did. It was like it was trying to prove a point through the sound of its music. And as much as I love certain, you know, analog elements like things that Lenny Kravitz does and many, many other bands, I, I'm not a fan of people who don't acknowledge that they're living in the 21st century or the 20th century or whenever it was or is to say, oh, I'm going to shun developments in technology and in music, and, you know, as a way. And look, if you're if you're doing that because that's your choice and you respect all forms of music, but this is how you want to do it, that's awesome. That's awesome. If you're doing it to say everything that came after X development is crap then I have no time for you. I am not interested in that attitude at all. And I'm not interested in that impetus for creating music. But I came to learn 
as white, the white stripes developed and as my uh, intolerance for that attitude softened, which I think is an important thing to have happen for most, or actually all intolerances, frankly, I came to the conclusion, uh, really, I, I realized three things. First, I was right. You know, they, they were deliberately making a point with the way they were restricting the music and how they were creating it. But I was wrong about it being a bad thing. You know, I, I, it, was a, it was a good thing because of the creativity it squeezed out of that. It forced the lyrics to really take center stage. It forced the structure and the, and the pounding rhythm of the song to take center stage as well. Uh, second, and here's where I'm in agreement with every, that's why I like all kinds of rock. And that is, it was just kick-ass music. A good song is a good song. A good band is a good band. A good album is a good album. Ultimately, I don't care about the hows or the whys. If the end result, that music is awesome, especially if the songs themselves, awesome. The hardest button to button, man. Oh, geez, you know, Seven Nation Army. How many other songs can you think of? I can't think of any right now, but they're all on there. I may look at the CDs and re read some more, although you can look that up. That's all I care about. It's that the music is good. And that's what I came to learn, at least starting with their third album. Third, they actually weren't ignoring the times. You know, Jack White is not that much of a Luddite. Luddite. He's not that, you know, um, ignorant. Uh, he knows a whole lot about music history and the current state of music. He was uh, creating a bubble for himself and saying, I can make music as good as anything else that's out there without having to overproduce it. And it's, and it's a lesson I've constantly taught myself when I'm producing other people or rec albums, solo work. I have to remind myself that more is not always better. That I love layers. I love sonic palettes. I love kind of a trippy headspace that I, that I create. But really, a song should just need what it needs. If you, you know, if some element is there because it's supposed to be there and it's not interesting, then take it out. In the way that Prince took out the bass line of When Doves Cry. It just, it wasn't working. He didn't think the song needed it. And that just made the song infinitely unique. So I think that they were acknowledging the times and saying, but we can do, we can do this. We, and plus, frankly, they just enjoy that kind of music. You know, that, that it was really the, their love of the kind of music that they were creating that kind of brought them to that point, you know. Now, um, because I am a dualist in many things and have, you know, professed that I like rock of all kinds, I don't, certainly don't shun progressive rock or chamber pop or fusion and things like that. Uh, or multi-layered rock with multiple harmonies or multiple guitars or, you know, keyboards thrown in there. Uh, there's no era that I can't find something I don't like. Uh, I have my favorites. Late 70s through early 80s is a favorite of mine. Um, Mid-60s in some ways is a favorite. Uh, the, er you know, early to mid-90s favorite. Honestly, the early O's. Uh to up to maybe 2010 or so, uh, eight or 10 favorite 
partly because of this revival. Uh, not to say I didn't find things to like in other eras that weren't my favorites, but in terms of production and output, I'd say that those are my favorites. But because I listen to everything and because I like to create what I want without lines and boundaries and walls, I tend to mix both the simple and the complex in what I do, in what in what Rec does. Uh, so, you know, perfect examples, I wrote down here, and please click these links. I really, really want you to listen to this music. It's really the main reason why I do these podcasts is to make connections to the music that I do to show that one artist's journey, my journey, uh, comes from a love of music of all kinds and a connection to the music that other wonderful artists have created. Uh, and before I get to those links, let me just quickly run down then. You have this uh, third album, White Blood Cells. Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground is just, and fell in love with a girl. Don't even get me started. You know, th those two are the ones that jump out, but I remember loving this album enough to get the next album anyway, uh, Elephant. And that's what started with Seven Nation Army and their, um, you know, uh, remake of I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself and uh, The Hardest Button to Button. You know, there, there it was right there. And I think those are probably my two favorite albums of then. And then Get Behind Me, Satan, uh, I don't remember that well, sadly. And, you know, the, their finest, their final one, Icky Thump, I have, a, I think, a little more of a memory of, but don't necessarily, uh, you know, there's not a song that jumps out there that I would choose. And... Uh, anyway, that's, that's, you know, my tip of the hat to trying to give a little bit more detail here. Not that that's a necessary thing, but why not? Right. So back to influence. Yes, I do combine my influences in many, many ways. I, I, and in fact, the older I get and the more music I do, I like to throw elements into songs that don't, uh, that, that someone might say, oh, that doesn't belong there, you know? So for, an, for example, two examples that I put down here, again, as things I would love for you to click, are uh, from Rex's album, Parts and Labor, uh, the song Some Things Happen. That's one of my all-time favorite tracks that we've done ever, but also from that album, certainly. And it's a song that you can hear uh, very, very clearly, the White Stripes influence, a very simple, forward, aggressive beat and simple vocals. It's how it starts out, but then it gets layered, as I said. Not ultra-layered, but layered enough that it's it's not in any way kind of a White Stripes uh, homage. It, it's not. It just, it's just the influence that's shown there. And then more recently, uh, I wrote a blues rock song for the album Symphony for the Weird. It's the second track on that album. It's called No Way Out for Me. And I think, yes, you're going to hear a clear, clear White Stripes influence there or blues rock influence of, you know, various kinds. But there's also a Letty Kravitz influence. And what he did, he did a lot of more psychedelic things and certainly layered harmonies. And you're going to hear that in the choruses. So you have kind of the simple verses of No Way Out for Me, which hearken to the contraction of rock and then you have the more uh, layered choruses which 
are, you know, all about the expansion of rock. And I believe those things can coexist. I believe that punk music is not as simple as people believe. I believe that progressive rock music is not as complex as people believe. There, you know, the, there is crossover within all of these. And that's the whole point of this podcast and this channel is, you know, music is not a genre. These, these boundaries we put are ridiculous and don't really mean anything. Uh, a side note on all of this, talking about cycles, getting back to the beginning, we're cycling through here too, is that for the last 10 years in the charts anyway, rock music has not been popular. Uh, you'll have one pop through here and there. You have bands who are doing quite well, Green Day, Foo Fighters, etc., cetera, uh, and in some newer bands, but nothing that broke through the charts in a way that said rock is back, right? But we are now hearing bands that are re-embracing rock, and I don't mean older bands, which is wonderful for them, but I mean Bands, young bands, whether it's Greta Van Fleet, Take Them or Leave Them, uh, you know, Rina Sawayama, who is, again, a kind of a genre buster. But you have these bands who are young people who you would think, based on the last 10 years of charts, would be into electronic and dance and army. And some of them are, and that's cool, too. But they are reincorporating, like uh, Baba Doobie, uh, especially, rock sounds from other eras and the rock, you know, sound in general. And I say that because I think things are cycling back in that direction. Uh, people, if you're of that generation and you're creating that music, it's because it's becoming popular again. Not, and, not, and you're not doing it for that reason, but it's you're in a generation who's rediscovering certain kinds of music and now you're putting that music out into your music and into the world. And so I predict that within the next three years, you're going to see a change in the charts. It won't be maybe like it was in the 90s or before, but you're going to see, uh, I think, more of an equanimity in the kind of uh, electronic and hip-hop and dance and, and you know, R&B music and rock music. I think uh, you'll find more of a mix there. That's my prediction anyway. And that's also my podcast. Uh, do you know the White Stripes? Do you remember the White Stripes? Were you a fan of the White Stripes? Do you like your rock simple? Do you like it complex? Do you like it somewhere in the middle? Do you have other bands that you think fall into one or another of those categories? Do you, do you know of uh, more obscure bands during an era when rock music maybe wasn't as popular that you would like to promote? Television, you know, bands like that. Uh, although more people know them now. Have you ever believed it when... When some attention-grabbing ding-dong said that rock is dead, or that any genre is dead, or that hip-hop is not music, or things that people profess that are just utterly ridiculous, have you ever believed? Was there a part of you that believed it? Because we all fall prey to that, and I would love to know that. I'd love to, I'd love to get into a deeper discussion. I'd love your comments. I'd love your opinions on everything I'm saying here and anywhere else, because as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.